Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, or sometimes it's translated as meekness. They're the same word. We live in a world that ignores gentleness and meekness. Aggression gains attention, the large and in charge get noticed, but gentleness, that's often overlooked. Jesus is the definition of gentleness and meekness, but are we skilled in recognizing it? Do we miss the gentleness of Jesus threaded throughout the Gospels because we hardly stop to consider the way that the majority of people would handle themselves in similar circumstances to some of the stories that we find Jesus in. Perhaps to see the gentleness of Jesus clearly, we need to read a few pages from the Gospel of the Large and in Charge. So, a reading from the Gospel according to the Large and in Charge. Chapter 4, verse 35. In the Gospel of the Large and in Charge, of course, we are number one. So I'm going to insert my name into this story, but of course I invite you to insert your own name into this story. So here we go. One day Aaron was out with his friends, and he said, Let's go over to the other side of the sea. So leaving the crowds behind, Aaron's friends pushed off in the boat, and they began making their way across the sea. Now Aaron was completely exhausted from his day, and he crawled into the stern of the boat and fell fast asleep on a cushion. Meanwhile, a furious squall came up, and the waves were breaking over the boat, nearly swamping it. But Aaron slept on, oblivious to the chaos. Aaron's friends shook Aaron awake. They were in a panic, screaming, Wake up! Wake up! What are you doing sleeping? Don't you care if we all drown? The boat bottom was sloshing with water. More water was coming in every second. Some friends were bailing out water. Others were pulling on oars and grabbing lines. Some were frozen and just holding on for dear life. It was a rude awakening. Aaron had been in dreamland. He opened his eyes to chaos. A storm, a sinking boat, soaked friends who were screaming blame at him, and his body flooded with adrenaline. As if he was responsible for this storm. He jumped up, screaming back, What is wrong with you all, you numbskulls? Why didn't you wake me up when you saw this storm building? Here, grab that line. No, the other line. Don't you know how to sail? He jerked the tiller out of a friend's hand. Here, give me that. You're no help. You're doing it wrong. Get out of my way. I can't see past you. His friends tried to holler back suggestions and questions over the wind and the waves, 
But Aaron screamed, shut up, be still, you don't know anything. He cursed and he spat and he muscled his way through that storm and he showed that storm who was boss. And when the storm was over, he reamed his friends out. Why are you guys so afraid? You think a little storm scares me? Don't you know anything about being a real man? And when it was all over, Aaron's friends were terrified of him and asking themselves, who is this guy who screams like a madman at the storm and then reams us all out? Another reading from the Gospel of the Large and in Charge. Blessed are the large and in charge, the aggressive, those who push and shove and struggle to make their voice be heard, those who take what is rightfully theirs, for they will inherit the land. The gospel of the large and in charge has so many good stories, like all those times when Aaron went to the fancy banquets with all the religious leaders and the political leaders and the high flute and mucky mucks and made all kinds of political alliances with them. And all those stories about Aaron's bouncers who kept all of the icky people and the down and outers at bay while Aaron traveled around the country making political alliances, signing autographs, performing, gaining power. Aaron didn't let anybody keep him off his agenda. He didn't let anyone get him off track. And he didn't wait around for anyone. Remember that sick lady who tried to grab Aaron's jacket and that, that lady who tried to talk to Aaron at the well and those kids who wanted to talk to Aaron and so many beggars and foreigners and lame people, those bouncers sure knew how to send them packing. Oh, and there's such a good story about when Aaron rode a, a white war horse into the capital of Jerusalem along with his militia and took back all of the power. I love that story. And that's the gospel according to the large and in charge. Now, there's some satire there. There's some tongue-in-cheek. Of course, you're not going to find any of those stories that I just read, told you. You're not going to find them in the Bible. The, the fruit of the Spirit is meekness, gentleness, and Jesus is that definition of gentleness, meekness. But are we so accustomed to ignoring gentleness in our world that we miss the gentleness of Jesus? Do we fail to consider the way that the majority of humanity would handle the circumstances Jesus encountered in Scripture? Jesus began his ministry declaring, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the land, the earth. And when Jesus described himself to the crowds, the first word he used to describe himself, he said, I am gentle, I am meek. He says, come to me, Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened, struggling, carrying too much, and I will refresh you. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am meek. I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus ended his ministry by riding a donkey, not a war horse, 
a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now remember, donkeys, they were the tractors of the day, the agricultural machine, and horses were the tank. They were the war machine of the day. And so Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, See, your king comes to you with justice and righteousness, victorious, gentle. That word is right there. Gentle, meek, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. That's Zechariah 9. Verse 9, you can also find it in Matthew 21, verse 5. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, meekness. Now, let's explore some, some aspects of gentleness in our lives. Is gentleness simply a personality trait? You know, we all have different personalities, different temperaments. And so... You meet some people and they, they just seem a lot more gentle than other people who you meet. For some of us, our worst fear is having someone else control us, someone else having power over us, and we know exactly what we want in life, and so we go for it. And people like that, others experience them as brash and intimidating and assertive. They're certain that they are right. No one is going to tell them what to do. And so some of us are, that's our temperament. That's our personality. Others of us are indecisive. We're not sure what we want. And we're timid. And we'd rather that there was harmony. Maybe we're afraid to assert ourselves. So is scripture asking us to change our personality when it says the fruit of the spirit is gentleness like are the assertive people are they more of the large and in charge people and the indecisive people are the gentle people is that the way this works well we have to remember the fruit of the spirit what is fruit it's a natural product of a life it flows out of our being it doesn't flow out of our, out of our doing and so this isn't about quenching your personality. Fruit is the life that happens when you are being fully, authentically, completely who God created you to be. So no matter how assertive or indecisive your personality is, God created you to be gentle. God wants to co-author gentleness in your life, meaning you are a part of this you get to be a part of writing gentleness, uh, showing the world the gentleness of Jesus through your personality, who God created you to be. Now, a part of this, of course, has to do also not just with temperament, personality, but also with this question, what is our narrative about power? What do we believe about power? See, we live in a world that says that the only way you can really make a difference and get what you want is you have to gain the power. You got to be a mover and a shaker to get what you want. 
and you have to outmuscle other people or outmaneuver other people or outspend other people and you, you have to be large and in charge. In machismo culture only pushes it further because like it says, the, well, the definition of being manly is wrapped up in aggression and taking what's yours. Now, do, what do we think of that narrative? If that power narrative is speaking to someone with an assertive personality, it could make them feel like, you know, it's good to shove my weight around and that's okay. It helps me get what I want. And it's kind of fun. And so I tell someone like that, I'm going to strive for power. But the power narrative makes those of us who are indecisive and unassertive feel incapable of doing anything to change this world for the better because we, we have no power. We aren't the large and in charge. We're the little people. And so in a world that's organized around power, Gentleness just feels like it doesn't make sense and it doesn't get you anywhere. Back to scripture. In the Old Testament, the word meek. The meek, they were the little people. They weren't the large and in charge. They were the little people, the poor people, those who had been wrongfully pushed off their land or had it taken from them, deprived, disinherited, victims of exploitation, those who were seen as powerless in the eyes of the world, people who had been, they were just caught in bad situations. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the little people, for they will inherit the land. Gentleness, it's countercultural. It's like an act of rebellion against this power narrative. Because the gentle are those who believe that it's possible to change this world and to influence people and to win people over through something other than power. They think it's possible through love and through generosity and through service and through self-sacrifice. Gentleness gives up power. It refrains from using power for the sake of others. So, a reflection question or a discussion question, if you are uh, listening to this with someone else, have you ever known someone who gave up power for the sake of others? And what did they do? Reflect on that. All right, welcome back. Are you taking your definition of a foul from the culture or from Jesus? I recently read a New York Times article. It was titled, The Evolution of the Foul. And so it's, it was talking about professional basketball players and what they can get away with in comparison with what they used to be able to get away with. You know, in sports, a foul is when someone is too aggressive. They aren't gentle enough. It's unnecessary roughness. They're doing too much harm. And so the ref blows the whistle, and there's a penalty of some kind, and that's a foul. Now, in every sport, 
this definition of a foul, over time, it kind of evolves. It changes, maybe subtly, maybe a lot, but it changes. And it's not only in sports. Our world is witnessing what you could call the evolution of the foul. What you could get away with 20 years ago, what was socially acceptable as necessary or unnecessary roughness has changed. It's not the same as what you can get away with right now. The level of acceptable aggression is changing. And so everywhere you look, you can find people being aggressive in different ways, pushing their weight around, being harsh, judgmental, anything but gentle. And everywhere you look, it's funny, you can also find people blowing the whistle and calling foul. And sometimes the people who are blowing the whistle are also the ones who aren't being gentle somewhere else. And so you've got all of this aggression and all of this whistleblowing. It's becoming more and more accepted that you're allowed to be one way on social media and another way in person. So on social media, people just, they almost accept that uh, they can be aggressive and attacking and condemning and name-calling and say things that they would never say in person. And of course, the people who get the most attention in the media and social media are those who are aggressive and radical and large and in charge. And the aggression is so exhausting to gentle people and moderates that they often end up leaving the conversation, which makes the conversation online that much more divided, that much more polarized. Everyone's definition of a foul is different, and it's changing with the culture. So with so much aggression and, and so much whistleblowing, it just turns into a whole lot of chaos. And as followers of Jesus, the question is, okay, so what can we get away with online, in the workplace, with our friends, what's acceptable and what isn't. And it's very easy to adopt our culture's definition of necessary and unnecessary roughness. Almost without thinking about it, we can just adopt it. Uh, the tone, what's acceptable, what's not, phrases, aggression, put down, sarcasm, name calling, buzzwords. We, we pay attention to what's going on around us and, and then it's Okay, that's, that's the definition of a foul. And the question is, are we taking our cues, our definition of a foul, from the culture around us? Or are we using Jesus as our definition of gentleness? Another way of looking at this is, are we focused on the means or the ends. So some people, they, they seem like very kind and gentle people until they aren't. Have you ever met anyone like that? Or maybe you say, I am like that. <laughs> uh, these are the kind of people who don't you dare cross them. They're very gentle until you cross them. And then you find out underneath their velvet gloves, they have an iron fist. And if you get in between them and something they're focused on, watch out. 
They know what they want, and if you stand in their way, you'll be crushed. And they're focused on the ends. And they're going to attain that goal, that outcome, by whatever means necessary. And so they operate under this paradigm of the ends justify the means. People like this are gentle until they are not gentle. And then they become surprisingly blunt and forceful, domineering, aggressive, controlling. Now, for others, they, they don't flip that switch uh, just from one thing to the next, but it's kind of progressive. They lose their gentleness as they become more and more impatient. So in trying to get the kids to bed or to school, or they're stuck behind a slow driver, or they're trying to get to work on time, it's like their frustration builds and builds and they progressively become less and less gentle. Jesus knew what he wanted. Jesus wasn't indecisive. Throughout his entire ministry, you could say Jesus was focused on the ends, the goal. And yet, you notice he's constantly talking about the way. He's talking about the means. Jesus says, I am the way. And the way isn't focused on whether or not you get what you want. The way is focused on how you use your influence and what's your tone of voice like? What are your facial expressions like? Your connections with others? How do you make other people feel? And Jesus refused to use force to bring about the rule of God. The way was every bit as important as the end. In fact, the book of Acts tells us six different times that the early church called themselves the way. Now, when it's theoretical, it's easy enough to agree, yeah, I should probably show, focus on how I make people feel. But then you get into a real-life situation where you're, you're focused on your goal and it matters a whole lot, and it's very easy to lose our gentleness in those kinds of situations. We're gentle until we are not. And then we're focusing on the ends instead of the means. So how do we get this switched? How do we release our grip on the end and learn to focus on the means, the way? Well, it has to do with coming to fully trust that God is the God of the defenseless, that God knows what we need, that God is present, that God is near, that God is our provider and our protector, that God is a God of justice, and that God will ultimately right every wrong. And this is how the biblical word gentleness or meekness actually comes to be translated sometimes as nonviolent. Uh, it shows up in contrast to war and war horses and weapons, and Jesus refuses to change the world by force. And it's because of this sense of God's nearness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Philippians 4. Now, if you're someone who who knows that underneath your velvet glove is an iron fist, 
it's easy to get into an operating mode where you can threaten to take the gloves off and you don't even need to take them off. You just act like you're going to get real angry in order to kind of push your weight around and get other people to do what you want. And it, it feels good to know that the iron fist is there if you need it. Gentleness means coming to a different understanding of your next move. When someone gets between you and your goal, it's not, well, if they really get between me and my goal and I get angry enough, I'll, I'll just start playing hardball with them. No, it's underneath the velvet gloves isn't an iron fist. Underneath the velvet gloves is a God of justice and love. And becoming a person of gentleness in this situation becomes more important than your goals. Meekness, gentleness, is strength under control. In fact, it's, it's been said gentleness is best revealed in the presence of incredible strength. It's why Jesus is the definition of gentleness. Instead of flipping that switch into the Incredible Hulk, like, I'll be gentle until, and then I'm going to go into freak-out mode, Gentleness is handing that next move over to God. It's saying, God, I know you're near. Let my gentleness be evident to all. And let me trust you with this situation. So, a quick reflection question or discussion question if you're gathered listening with others. It's kind of a two-part question. What is it that pressures you to focus on the ends, the outcome, and what helps you focus on the means. So think about some daily life scenarios and what is it that really gets you focused on the outcome, the ends. You're not, you don't really care how you get what you want, you just got to get it. And what helps you focus on the way, the means. So take a moment, reflect on that. All right, how do we co-author this gentleness with the Spirit in the midst of the storms of life? There certainly has to be space between whatever happens and what we decide to do next. When, when we read the Gospels, I wonder if part of what we miss are the spaces that Jesus took between the incredible pressures that people put on Jesus and whatever Jesus said and did next. See, Jesus was human, which meant when he encountered stressful events, his body was getting flooded with all kinds of stress chemicals. So how did Jesus keep from being simply reactionary? Like when we see Jesus standing between a woman caught in adultery and a bunch of religious leaders who are ready to stone her to death in John 8, and Jesus stoops down, and he starts drawing in the dirt. Is there a hidden meaning there? Or is Jesus simply creating some space so that he can decide what to do next instead of simply reacting, simply letting whatever happens next just happen to him? As Jesus draws in the dirt, 
is he simply creating space to decide what to do next? And when we see Jesus weeping, or sleeping, or sneaking away to pray, are we witnessing the way Jesus cultivated gentleness? Are we witnessing a Jesus who knows that he is not going to be gentle unless he's in touch with what, he's, what he is feeling and what his body is telling him and rooting those thoughts and those feelings in prayer? What if gentleness is less about shoving your feelings under the rug because your feelings are harsh and brash and aggressive? And what if gentleness is more about being gut-level honest with God about those feelings and allowing God to soften and change you? What is the Spirit saying to you today about gentleness? That's it. Love your friends. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.